Everybody, this is your host, Steve Dawson. Welcome to the One Life Podcast, Season 1, featuring Jim Burns, brought to you by Music Makers and Soul Shakers. This podcast is completely ad-free and listener-supported. Please check out all of our episodes at makersandshakerspodcast.com. And if you enjoy what we do and would like to support it, you can make a one-time donation or subscribe to our Patreon page. Just follow the donate button on the top right of makersandshakerspodcast.com. Now, just a reminder that what you're about to hear is unscripted on all counts. Jim Burns is speaking off the top of his head, and all musicians are improvising at all times. This was all performed live over two days at the Warehouse Studio in Vancouver and was recorded there by Sheldon Zaharko and mixed by Steve Dawson in Nashville, Tennessee. Guitars and pedal steel by Steve Dawson, drums and percussion by Gary Craig, bass and mandolin by Jeremy Holmes, and keyboards by Chris Jestrin. I'd just like to thank Jim Burns for agreeing to do a crazy project like this. And without further ado, here is episode five of One Life, season one with Jim Burns. You know, I was never very good at soldiering, I'll tell you. <laughs> it was, I wasn't really cut out for it. Uh, God knows I tried, but um, luckily I had a, there was a, we had a sergeant, Sergeant Williams, big fine black man from Oklahoma, who, uh, who knew I played the guitar and he had heard me play a couple of times. And oddly enough, his, uh, his favorite record at that time, uh, had come out in 1968, it was Johnny Cash live in the penitentiary there, you know. And uh, his favorite song was uh, the old Folsom Prison Blues. We get into a situation where there was a guitar around and uh, they used to call me uh, pejorative, was a uh, hey college boy. <laughs> Pick up that guitar and uh, we'd, we'd play that song for him. And uh, he knew I wasn't much of soldiering. He kept me out of harm's way, and I'll, I'll always uh, carry a special place in my heart for that fella. I hear that train a-coming, rolling around the bend. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, funny, that, that, that song actually 
course, it's it's iconic. But uh, the uh, oddly enough, you know, many people don't. But originally, it was called the the Crescent City Blues, and it was from a, a radio play. And uh, you know, Gordon Jenkins, the great arranger and stuff, it, he kind of wrote that song. And there, there's a it's a woman sings it. It's a guy that stops uh, to get off a. Uh, have a cigarette outside when the train stops in a little town and here's this woman that wants to get out of town the first line of each and every verse is just right out of uh, the same first line as uh, the Tolson Prison Blues uh, you know Johnny uh, had, had heard it obviously and used it as a template let's say that way and later in life uh, in fact they, they, there was a uh, some compensation that was uh, traded back and forth about that song, but but you know, no matter what you think, that's uh, old J.R. Cash. He's uh, he was quite something. I remember actually Steve and I were and Jesse Zubat were playing up in the uh, north of the Arctic Circle up in Anuvik. We did a show, and we were asked to come and play at the. Uh, elementary school the next day. We had a flight out at like four o'clock in the afternoon, so we were just going to be sitting around a motel all day. So, sure, so we went over and it was uh, the fifth and sixth grade. There was about 60 kids, um, 10 and 11 years old. I'd say out of these 60 kids, there 50 of them were, were indigenous kids, Inuit or Dene, and, uh, and there was maybe five uh, Caucasian kids. And here's something I bet a lot of you didn't know, the farthest north mosque in the world is in Anubik. So there's like five Pakistani Muslim kids in there to show too. So uh, Steve and, uh, and Jesse showed off on, on their instrumental prowess, uh, different stuff. And then uh, I came in and we talked about the blues and muddy waters and this, that, and the other thing. And it got time, uh, time was running. I said, okay, gang, we got time for one more song. And this little Inuit guy put up his hand and said, do you know any Johnny Cash? And I just thought, here we are, three degrees north of the Arctic Circle. Uh, John Cash had been dead for, I don't know, three or four years at this point. But here are these 10, 11-year-old kids asking to hear music written by a dirt farmer's son from Dias, Arkansas. And I thought, man, there was something really powerful in that. This music, man, I'll tell you. Music for me, well, when I lost my legs, you know, I, at first I was terrible. Uh, there's a thing called phantom pain. It's where you feel. Uh, I can say, to this day, I, I, I get phantom pain. Some guys are lucky, and it kind of wears away. And uh, they, they tell you when it happens. Oh yeah, they, it'll go away sometime. But I still get big attacks of it. And it's where uh, you know you, you feel the foot that was once there, and it feels like it's on fire or something. And it can be. It, sometimes it's just sort of. Uh, a little light tingling and sometimes it's really serious pain but uh, you know to, to find a way out of that I'll tell you when I was I was in the hospital in that first few weeks uh, and you know they pump you up full of all sorts of you know morphine and stuff and and I had been like I say when I was back in Toronto I'd been living with this guy one of the reasons I left there was because I'd seen what you know heroin addiction or drug addiction are doing to people and, and I started feeling, uh, I, I can't let this happen to me. And I, uh, one night I was, I was waiting so badly, I was just waiting for that nurse to come in with that shot. 
It was driving me nuts. So I got it that night, but the next day I told the doctor, I said, you know, you gotta, you gotta let me do this without the drugs. And he said, oh, you can't, you know, it's, it's gonna be too hard for you. And I said, no, man, I gotta find a way. I've gotta find a way. And, uh, and so I would tell, you know, they, there, was a, there was a hallway and I, I had a guitar and I'd take it, you know, at nights after we'd have dinner or whatever and things would start settling down, I could go way down this hallway and nobody would hear me. And I would just bang away on that guitar and sing and sing and sing and sing. Now, it's not, you know, if you were just humming along or trying to, but, but when you really got to singing, the pain would go away. I, it was, I, I discovered that some kind of it released endorphins in me, and it was a, it was a way for me to escape then. And then, you know, you'd have to go there. At some point, you'd have to put the guitar down and quit singing and go get some rest. And that was always a tough time. But I had a one of these people that I had that was a, a, a true friend, and it remains one of my truest best friends to this day. He was a guy that I had known for maybe two weeks. And uh, he was uh, working over on uh, Vancouver Island. He was living in uh, Nanus Bay. And, but he had a, a great record claim. I mean, this is how, when I first met him, we, we, was our connection with the music we talked about and the music we love. You know, he was uh, into jazz and into soul music and R&B and blues. And you know, I had met not many guys that I knew back then were that much into it. So he was an American as well, or been born in the states. So anyway, uh, he brought me into my hotel room, his reel-to-reel tape recorder, and this vast collection of music. And uh, I discovered this one, uh, was a, it's a piano piece by Bill Evans uh, called Peace Peace. And every night it would be, I would put that on and put headphones on. And I guess I call it praying. <laughs> but I listened to that music and it was, uh, that music kind of in a way saved my life. I, I was able to, to find a way to forget about the pain and, and just the music became so so important to me and uh, I realized uh, what a blessing it was that I had been given um, some sort of talent uh, innate but also the fact that, that it had been so uh, nurtured in me my, that my folks had uh, had let me go down that path and never discouraged me and, and let me find my way Without music in my life, I, I really don't know. In fact, I, I wouldn't still be here. I wouldn't still be here.
Talking about some of that music come out of St. Louis, of course, I mentioned so many of the, uh, the great uh, rhythm and blues artists uh, and, and blues players. And going way back in time, I mean, Lonnie Johnson, who I think is such an underrated uh, blues guitar player, one of my one of my top five guitar players of all time. He, uh, although born in New Orleans, started his career in St. Louis and made a name for himself in St. Louis. Oddly enough. I got to meet Lonnie. His career has gone on and off and on and off and on and off. And he ended up living in Toronto, of all places. This was in 1969 uh, when I was first there. And um, I got to meet him, knowing I was from St. Louis and his time in St. Louis. We had, we had a great conversation. It was He worked at a, at a club there, had, a, had some sort of a thing going on. But he was getting quite old. And then he had had a, a car accident which really uh, took uh, took its toll on him, and he, he was soon gone. But what a thrill to have met Lonnie Johnson, this guy that inspired me so much. Other guys from back in that day, I mean, Jimmy Forrest, the guy that rode Night Train, and, of course, Miles Davis, uh, Clark Terry. Oh, man, the, the jazzers that came out. But around my area at the time, there, were, there was a couple of uh, couple of bands. that uh, There was one band, Bob Cuban and the Inmen. They had a big hit called The Cheater, right? Sung by a guy named Walter Scott. He was, he was the singer. Now here's a, you know, the way Vietnam affected people, whether you ended up in the army or you didn't end up. It had an effect on everybody at a certain age. They had that hit record and uh, could have really gone somewhere, gone on tour and this and that. But, but Bob was also a school teacher. And if he had quit his job as a school teacher, he would have lost his deferment and would have ended up in the army. And, you know, band probably wouldn't have gone on very far from there either. There was another band uh, that sort of a, a little bit later than that, and I was just had left town, but was was back in town and heard of these guys called the Guild. And man, they had a really great lead singer, uh, a guy named Michael McDonald, who went on to uh, 
Los Angeles and to all sorts of fame, of course, with the Doobie Brothers and then fabulous uh, career on his own. And uh, got to hand it to Michael last year, you know, when they, when they, they had the riots in Ferguson, because he grew up out in Ferguson. Ferguson, Florence went to McClure High School. And, uh, you know, I'm mean, first time I heard him sing with that group, the Gilla. Man, this guy's got something going on. But after those uh, Ferguson riots, uh, you know, he came out and said some some really beautiful things. Going back to that that theme that I was kind of beating on, you know, that thing of why can't we why can't we talk to each other and just realize that we we share such a wonderful planet here and there's so much so much good that can be done. Why why can't we just let the bullshit go, man? Anyway, I really uh, really admire him for that, what he said and what he did. There's some cats coming out of there now, you know, a young kid named Marquise Knox, who's sort of maybe the future of the blues. Going back, there was a couple other, you know, there was some some good groups, uh, of course, uh, Bobby McClure and Fontella Bass. Fontella, you know, Rescue Me, you know, she was a St. Louis gal. Her mom, uh, Sister Martha Bass, sang with the Clara Ward singers. So she grew up in the church. But every year, there was uh, this big uh, traveling carnival would come to St. Louis, the, the, uh, the Royal American Shows, they were called. And once again, they had the big, the midway with all the rides and the wild man from Borneo and the, <laughs> just the craziest kind of stuff. And they had a Leon Claxton's Harlem Review. And you'd go in there and uh, Fontella, who's a great piano player and great singer, as we know, she was like 15 or 16, and she was going to run away with the Harlem Review, Leon Claxon's Harlem Review. Of course, her mother went absolutely nuts. That wasn't going to happen. But Oliver Sane, a uh, great band leader in St. Louis, uh, Willie Love's uh, nephew, uh, he, uh, he he made a deal with, with uh, Fontella's mom, and he was uh, running uh, Little Milton's band at that time. And they had the record company there, Bobbin Records, and they made a bunch of some really great records in St. Louis back in those days. So she made a deal, and uh, her mother would let her go out and play piano with uh, Little Milton's band. And then I guess one night or something, you know, Milton came in late, and uh, Oliver had uh, Fontella sing some stuff and realized, man, this girl's got it going on. And she, he helped write Rescue Me, and of course she went off to Chicago. She married Lester Bowie, you know, the, uh, the great uh, jazz trumpeter. The Bowie family were St. Louis guys, Lester and Joseph, the art ensemble of Chicago, as we all know. They, uh, they went on to do great things. Of course, Fontella had the great hit with uh, Rescue Me, and uh, spent many years, uh, you know, she made those records with Bobby McClure, Ain't Gonna Mess Up a Good Thing. Some really cool stuff, man, that came out that we were just, you know, we all kind of thought that was that was ours, that belonged to us in a way. Last time I saw, you know, Fontella had had a, she, well, she had some health problems and she went back to, to playing uh, in church uh, and uh, went back to her roots. And the last time I saw Fonny was at uh, Johnny Johnson's funeral. Uh, you know, of course, Johnny was uh, Chuck Berry's uh, pianist and so many guys uh, credit so much of a, uh, Chuck's early success, sound and success to, uh, to Johnny's nurturing and Johnny's piano playing. And the reason that uh, 
not many guitar players played in B flat because the piano player did, you know. But uh, old Johnny was, in fact, Johnny ended up living in the same apartment building with my mom and dad. And uh, you would see him on the elevator every now and then. And his wife, Frances, oh, what a beautiful woman. That's my mother's name, too, Frances. And they lived in the same building, and they, both being Frances and both being beautiful, wonderful women, they got to be real good friends. So when Johnny passed away, uh, I, I, I happened to be back in St. Louis for a charity event and uh, went to his funeral in Fontella, uh, sang some beautiful stuff that day. It was uh, quite a day. The messages came from all over the world. Uh, Eric Clapton and uh, Keith Richards, of course, had sent some uh, beautiful flowers and a beautiful message. And uh, that was quite a day. It was the last day I saw Fontella as well. She died a couple Christmases ago. But man, oh man. Just the nurturing we had and the, the education that I got just growing up in North St. Louis was outstanding, as they would say in the Army. Out fucking standing. listening to this episode of One Life. You'll find all the episodes up now for your enjoyment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>